Hello music enthusiasts, welcome to Sound Encounters, a music podcast where I explore new and classic releases, different genres, and your favorite artists and bands. I am your host, Cesar Torres. Thank you for joining me today. Week 29, we are getting closer and closer to the end of the year, to the end of this wacky and wild, no good, no fun year, however you say that quote. Um, And since we are getting closer to the end of the year, I will be doing a exciting feature before the end of the year where I talk about my favorite albums of this past year, as well as some real stinkers that I heard this year. So actually, I'm going to do this next week. I'll be talking about the best and worst albums next week. And usually I don't like to tease next episode until the outro. But I think I need to get this out of the way and tell you uh, about this now because after I release that episode, the best and worst of 2020, I think I'm going to take a little break, a couple of weeks, maybe a month before I get back to the Sound Encounters uh, podcast. The only reason I'm doing this is because it is really tough to plan a weekly podcast And I still have plans to do a weekly podcast when it comes back, probably around early to mid-January. But I need some more time to to plan out these segments. And I'm really excited because I I actually started planning out these segments. And I'm really excited to share uh, the genre guides that I have uh, planned, the artist guides that I have planned, and special quirky little uh, features that I will also be talking about in 2021. And also, it's the holiday season. I'm going to be spending time with my family, and I won't have that much time to be working on the podcast as much as I would like to. Um, And I would rather focus on my family and the people that I love during this time of the year. So we're going to do this episode, which I'll talk about what I'll be doing in this episode. And then next week, I'll be doing the best and worst of 2020. And then we'll, uh, I'll take a couple of weeks off just to recuperate and to, to plan out the 2021 episodes, or at least the first couple of weeks or the first couple of months. So yeah, I just kind of wanted to get that out of the way because next week I won't be doing, uh, or I might do an intro, but you know I won't be talking about this past week in music. We're going to go straight into the best and worst of 2020. I kind of predict that that episode will be pretty long actually not that like as long as like a swan's guide uh but it'll be a a long one or at least plan on making it a lengthy episode and during the break you know i won't stay completely silent i'll still be uploading episodes but i'll be uploading reruns of what i think are some of the best features that i've done over this past year so if you're feeling nostalgic you know i'll upload like uh We'll see. I'll keep it a surprise. I'll keep the reruns a surprise. But just to make sure that, you know, uh, I'm not keeping the Sound Encounters podcast dry throughout this little break period, I'll be uploading these little reruns and we can both feel nostalgic together. But speaking of the show, I have a great one for you this week. Coming up, I'll be talking about post-rock what that is, and five albums to get you into the genre. But first, as always, 
I gotta talk about this past week in music. Alright, so this is the last past week in music for 2020. And I didn't really think about that until like right before I hit record. <laughs> and now that I th- know that this is the last past week in music in 2020, I kind of wish we got a more beefier, uh, for lack of better word, past week. Because I only listened to a single and an LP this week. But these are two big hitters. These are two artists that I love and admire and an album that I've been waiting for since the debut single for this project. But before I talk about that, I want to talk about this new 100 Gex track, Sympathy for the Grinch. I'm happy we got a new Gex song and just in time for Christmas. But I have a confession. I don't really like Ska. And this song here is 100% Ska. Uh, That being said, I was still open to it as Stupid Horse from 1000 Gex is also a ska song. Well, it's a ska hyper pop hybrid, but you know what I mean. I love that track. It's catchy and fun, which is what the Gex is all about. So I was open to another hyper pop ska hybrid because I know that they can pull it off. And I I had to say this isn't a bad track by any means. I think the chorus and the post-chorus, where they repeated la 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 la, it, it, it was typical Gex fun and it made me smile. But I won't lie to you, I don't think this track is the best. I do find the bass line and guitar uh, pretty annoying. It's a typical chord progression you would hear from a ska song, and I didn't really care for it. And you could crucify me all you like, but it's it's just not my thing. The vocals from Laura and Dylan are good at least. They always come in with great delivery. And I do appreciate the callback to Stupid Horse. But for the most part, I'm feeling just meh on this track. And now that we got that out of the way, let's talk about the one LP that I heard this week. That being Nightmare Vacation by Rico Nasty. This was one of the albums I was looking forward to this year. I love the more abrasive production and performance from Rico Nasty's music. Singles like iPhone and Oh For Real showcased how well Rico's aggressive rapping and singing works with the wild and noisy beats. And in case you're wondering, yes, there are other songs on this album with creative production. The opening track, Candy, isn't the best intro into the project, but it's still pretty good. We got that bass-heavy beat, and Rico is tamer on this track, but she still has a formidable flow, and her bars are great. Check Me Out has her spinning bars with a raspy voice, and the piano loop is pretty fun. STFU has a low hum that sounds like a retro video game, and Rico's delivery on that hook goes hard. Let It Out is a highlight for me, because it resembles an industrial hip-hop track with its grimy drone as its foundation. I was impressed with this track, because this is what I love to see or hear in Rico's music. Also, should be no surprise that the Gex produced this track as well. Unfortunately, the rest of the album isn't like this, as a good portion of songs shy away from the incredible industrial hip-hop and hyper-pop production. Back and forth with Amane, I think that's how you pronounce his name, I'm not sure, isn't impressive as it's just a regular hip-hop track. It's got a catchy hook, but production is weak compared to the other songs. 
Also, Loser featuring Trippy Red is another subpar hip-hop track with boring tropical guitars sampled into the beat. I've heard this before many times. And also, Trippy Red's verse wasn't that great. But it's not that they're terrible songs. It's just that they detract from what I want from a Rico Nasty song. And that is aggressive and abrasive rapping and production. Tenfo is so derivative, it, it really could have been made by any other female rapper. So yes, I am a bit disappointed in this project, and hopefully the next Rico project goes full throttle on the hyperpop industrial sound. And with that, that concludes this past week in music. I'm going to take a little break, but when we come back, I'll be talking about post-rock. Stay tuned, everybody. Hello and welcome back to Sound Encounters. Before the break, I promised that I'd be talking about post-rock, what that is, and five albums to get you into post-rock. So what is post-rock? Post-rock is a form of experimental rock that uses traditional rock instruments, you know, guitars, bass, drums, etc., to create atmosphere and explore textures instead of traditional rock song structures like chords or riffs. Post-rock as we know it today is often instrumental. Artists in the genre typically combine rock instrumentation with electronics. Post-rock now also tends to favor tension building and release, and in that way it's kind of similar to post-hardcore, but not quite, as a lot of crescendos can be heard in contemporary post-rock. But it wasn't always that way. Post-rock went through a couple of phases before it became what it is now. Early post-rock is what I would describe as atmospheric jazz, as post-rock music relied on improvisation, instruments you would typically hear in a jazz ensemble like horns, strings, keyboards. But I say atmospheric because there was always that need to include that space for the instruments to work in. And the genre has a confusing history as a post-rock band today would sound completely different than a band from the 90s. But luckily for you, I have five albums here that'll not only get you into the genre, but also let you make the distinction between early post-rock and today's post-rock. So at number one, I have Laughing Stock by Talk Talk, released in 1991. Talk Talk has an interesting history because you might recognize them as the synth-pop band responsible for writing and recording It's My Life, which Gwen Stefani and No Doubt famously covered. Talk Talk began to reinvent their sound around the mid-80s to encompass a more mellow and moody sound. The culmination of this sound appears all over 1991's Laughing Stock, their final record. Talk Talk found themselves in quite the situation before they recorded this record, as bassist Paul Webb had left the band, leaving just drummer Lee Harris and singer multi-instrumentalist Mark Hollis to work on the final record. They employed an ensemble of 50 musicians that recorded material for this release. However, only 18 of them would appear on the final album. Harris and Hollis had to sift through tons of material, probably hours or days of material, and I can't imagine what that must have been like, but I'm glad that they did it because the final result is amazing. It's an album dripping in atmosphere, and it heavily incorporates a jazzier and groovier sound. 
And this is exactly what I would call first wave post-rock, as it does take some inspiration from jazz and doesn't necessarily rely on crescendos. A track like Taphead is reliant on the mood it is setting with its quiet guitar and bass playing and lead singer Mark Hollis's whispered vocals. The music on this album is trance-like, and the atmospheres it creates are elegant and airy. In fact, airy is what I would use to describe the intro to Taphead, as the rest of the track evolves into this cacophonous free jazz piece with blaring horns, sometimes that scream out of nowhere, which can scare the listener. At least it scared me. After the Flood is more delicate in its mood and atmosphere, as a solemn drone provides the space for this track, Drums and organs come in, injecting the track with a meditative tone. Hollis's voice is both powerful and elegant. Uh, I, I don't know how he does it, but it is a wonderful addition to the free space that is emphasized throughout the album. But by far my favorite track is Ascension Day. While Talk Talk likes to use space to its advantage and doesn't rely on crescendos, this track uses both space and builds to create a captivating experience. We can hear the full force of jazz and improvisation on this track. Hollis's crooning adds and creates a whole new texture that I can only describe as spiritual. And when the track ends with guitars crescendoing and drums crashing together, making a chaotic yet memorable climax. It's such an important album to the genre and probably the best example of early post-rock. But moving on, I want to talk about Millions and Now Living Will Never Die by Tortoise, released in 1996. You have no idea how happy I am to tell you that this next entry is from a Chicago band, and I didn't even find this out until I was doing research for this feature. This is Tortoise's second full-length album, and on this project, we still hear that jazz influence with a bit of dub incorporated into the music, uh, especially with the smooth keyboards and the groovy bass lines. And we get more languorous compositions, especially the first track, which I'll talk about in a moment. But we also have moments of prog rock, like on the busy, the taut, and the tame, as it has a driving drum beat mixed with the bass and vibraphone playing the same melody. I love how the bass and vibraphone still stick together even when the tempo and progression changes. This song is actually a great example of the shifting dynamics in the record songs, which... Yeah, you'll hear that throughout the rest of the record. Then we have the very dreamy and blissful Glass Museum, which is probably my favorite track here, or at least one of my favorite tracks, as it plays this dreary, arpeggiated melody that is easy to get lost in. Seriously, this track has a trance-like quality to it that I could probably refer to, like Talk Talk is like, hey, maybe they got inspiration from Talk Talk, and that's where this trance-like quality comes from. Then it switches to favor a more math rock playing style before bringing the main melody back. A lot of the album does feel very math rocky, honestly. Possibly the most impressive piece on this record is the first track, Jed, as it is a 20 minute long composition, but it shifts through so many phases, it's hard to get bored while listening to it. The first section is very reserved as the bass is quiet and the only sounds that stand out are these odd sound effects which emulate an icy and cold feeling, at least for me. Then the melody slowly transforms and builds and now it's a freeform jam session with a catchy rhythm section provided by the drums and bass and a jazzy keyboard melody. After that we get a repeated keyboard melody played along a vibraphone. This is one of the most creative moments on the record, and I'm surprised at how sobering it is as well. Finally, the track ends with a more lighthearted and juvenile 
keyboard and vibraphone melody. It's a wild ride from start to finish, and if you only have a slight interest in post-rock, I recommend you start with this song, as it rarely bored me, and it's fun as hell. But for the rest of the record, it's an important post-rock album that solidified Tortoise as one of the greats. I'm going to butcher the name of this next record, but coming up from 1999, by Sayuro is Ajietis Birun. I don't know if I pronounced that right. Sayuro is an Icelandic band, so I'm doing my best to pronounce the name of this record. Um, I, although I do know that if you translate the name of this record, it is a good beginning in English. So I talked about a song from this album last week on my winter playlist episode. Go check that out. I talked about Starlifer uh, on that episode. Um, I also talked a bit about Godspeed You Black Emperor, which we'll get to in a bit. And I also talked about Swans last week and a couple of weeks prior to that, which kind of inspired this week's genre guide. But I'm not just picking Sire Row because they are a personal favorite post-rock artist for me, or band, I should say. I am picking this album because it is a post-rock masterpiece, and this album is an amalgamation of cosmic and dreamy soundscapes and symphonies. Honestly, this is probably a great transition from early post-rock to today's current post-rock, as it kind of bridges the gap between the very atmospheric stuff and the instrumental stuff, although there are lyrics on this album. But again, they are an Icelandic group. It is difficult for us English speakers to understand them, so they end up feeling like another instrument. Like I said before, I already talked about Starla for last week, which is a beautiful track, so check that out. But I don't want to spend too much time talking about that track. In fact, I'm not going to talk about it at all, so let's talk about some other amazing tracks on the record. The second track, Sven G. Engular, don't know if I pronounced that right, has more in common with the dream pop and shoegaze of the 90s than actual post-rock. We get roaring reverb guitar, twinkling keyboards, and lead singer Jonzi's heavenly vocals that seem to echo out into the stars. Its languorous movement makes it feel longer than it actually is, and because of it, this track feels like a hazy, blissful memory a fond memory of like childhood that has been obscured over time. I feel like my interpretation of the song becomes more accurate as Jonzi repeats this phrase, tu, which is a sound that Icelanders make to comfort toddlers. And right off the bat, you know, this is the second track in the album, I start to notice that this, this is music that is meant to be felt rather than appreciated for its technical ability. It, it's a, it has more of an emotional focus, is what I'm trying to say. And this is evident on Olsen Olsen, as the lyrics are not even sung in Icelandic. They are sung in this gibberish fake language known as Hopelandic, which is supposedly written before actual lyrics take its place. It's, it's kind of a technique that Cocteau Twins and Bjork have used before. Jonesy's vocals reach a new level of a etherealness as they reverberate into the ether. Flutes, horns, strings, and a piano enter into the mix at the end of the composition and produces a beautiful and cathartic moment on the record. An emotional peak on the album, if you ask me. Before this, there is a distinct bass line playing alongside the euphoric backdrop. And it's funny because I thought it took me out of the experience, and then that outro happens and I'm immediately drawn back in. The rest of the record is as beautiful and magical as these tracks. Like I stated earlier, this is music that you feel. It is music that gives you an emotional reaction, and because of it, it is music that'll stick with you forever. At number four, I have Lift Your Skinny Fists Like Antennas to Heaven by Godspeed You Black Emperor, released in 2000. Talk about a gorgeous piece 
of work. Godspeed is an ensemble group from Canada. This is their second full-length album with just four songs that spans 87 minutes. There's a really funny meme about post-rock music uh, where they kind of had the cover of Lift Your Skinny Fists um, and then the text says, no, 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 wait until it gets to the 30-minute mark. That's when it gets really good. And that meme has probably been inspired by Godspeed You Black Emperor songs and probably Swans too because their music are like almost reaches like half an hour uh lengths i talked about this group last week on my winter playlist i talk about the song moya from their ep so right for new zero canada and i was disappointed that i only had a limited amount of time to talk about them but here i am talking about their seminal release opening track storm is a musical odyssey this whole album is but i wanted to highlight this specific track as it begins with a gentle overture that slowly builds into this triumphant orchestral piece. The track quiets down about a quarter of the way through, and we can hear this underlying drone better that can be heard across most of Godspeed's work. A lot of the time, drone can be used to create a sinister atmosphere, but their drones sound more hopeful on this track. After more buildup, the track devolves into a frenzy of pounding drums, glistening guitars, and a bass that balances the rest of the forever. It's a truly amazing track. Much like Jed off of Tortoise's Millions Now Living, I'd recommend listening to Storm if you have a slight interest in post-rock, because it is one of the genre's shining moments. The following track, Static, is an interesting follow-up because for the first six minutes, the ensemble creates a provocative music concrete piece. It shocked me, especially coming off of the delightful and thrilling storm. Like, this, the opening of Static gave me chills. But then it eventually transforms into a slow-building rock epic. The drone here feels truly terrifying, as if it is a calm before the storm. We get a flurry of blistering guitars and dramatic strings. And before I move on to the last album on my list, I have to mention the last track, Like in Tennis to Heaven, because, to me... It is a sobering piece of music that leaves me wanting more. First, we open on different sound pieces, my favorite being the folk song that makes the first minute of this track. Then we have a subtle melody playing before it explodes into another triumphant moment, and then it quiets down before it plays a more pensive-sounding instrumental. The album concludes with three minutes of haunting drone and two minutes of hypnotic and surreal abstractions. I go through so many emotions while listening to this thing. It is, it's an emotional journey. One of the masterpieces in the genre, quite possibly the genre's masterpiece. And finally, to conclude my list, I have The Earth Is Not A Cold Dead Place by Explosions in the Sky in 2003. So this genre is dear to me because I kind of discovered post-rock while I was in high school. And one of the bands that introduced me to the genre was Explosions in the Sky, and I immediately fell in love with them, and I immediately fell in love with the genre. Mainly their song, So Long Lonesome, off of 2007's All of a Sudden I Miss Everyone. Uh, but for this list, I chose The Earth Is Not a Cold Dead Place, because this is when they started gaining mainstream attention. They scored the soundtrack for the 2004 film Friday Night Lights, and for most fans of the band, this was their first full-length Explosions album. The music on this album is very pretty and life-affirming. It really lives up to the title of the album. 
This is evident right from the get-go as the opening track, First Breath After Coma, begins with a bright guitar chord that is reverberated before it becomes a soft melody that then intensifies and crescendos with roaring guitars. The rest of the tracks on this album follow a similar formula of starting quietly and then building to a dramatic climax, characterized by the lush textures of the twinkling guitars. And another thing I love about this record is how the songs interweave with one another, they bleed into each other. It sounds like it's one long track that is broken up into smaller segments. The closing track, Your Hand and Mine, is a bittersweet ending to the record as the shimmering chords add a bit of melancholy, yet it is still uplifting and victorious. A phenomenal closer. However, the standout track for me is Memorial, as these lulling and beautiful chords and the chord progression becomes a wall of sound by the end. A lot of modern-day post-rock bands try to copy the sound of the album, and it makes sense because it does sound beautiful, it does sound epic, it does sound amazing, and because of it, it is an iconic post-rock release. And with that, that concludes my list to the five albums that get you into post-rock. To go over it again, we have Laughingstock by Talk Talk, Millions Now Living Will Die by Tortoise, Agiedis Birun by Sayuro, Lift Your Skinny Fists Like Antennas to Heaven by Godspeed, You Black Emperor, and The Earth Is Not a Cold Dead Place by Explosions in the Sky. One thing I forgot to mention when talking about the genre at the beginning of the segment was a lot of the times when listening to post-rock, because it is an instrumental-focused genre, you can kind of develop your own feelings and narrative while listening to a song. And for me, that's a huge draw of the genre. I love kind of creating my own narrative, the feelings that I get when listening to like a Godspeed song or an Explosions in the Sky song is very like profound and it's very personal. And if that sounds like it's up your alley, definitely start listening to some post-rock. It's kind of like a magical genre. I, I would use that word to describe the genre, just very magical, and it fills me with joy and wonder. And God, I just, I'm, I'm so in love with this genre. It was so nice to listen to these iconic albums again and, and talk to you about them. Let me know what you think of post-rock. Let me know who your favorite artists, bands, albums are in the genre. Over on Twitter and Instagram at Sound Encounters, you can go ahead and message me, tweet me, whatever you like, or you could send me a voice message through anchor.fm, link to where you need to go in the podcast description. Please let me know what you think about post-rock, who are your favorite artists and bands and albums, because I would love to continue this post-rock discussion. All right, so that does it for this week of Sound Encounters. Remember, next week will be the last Sound Encounters of 2020. After that, I will be taking a little hiatus. Most likely will return in January. But if you have any ideas of what I should cover in 2021, please let me know. Remember, Instagram, Twitter, at Sound Encounters, Anchor.fm, link in the podcast description. Let me know your thoughts on what I should cover. Another way you can let me know what you want me to cover is through Apple Podcasts. Leave a little review. Let me know what I should talk about. And while you're there, you can also leave a little review. If you like the show, give us a five-star rating. I'd greatly appreciate it. And I'll give you a little shout out 
on next week's show or in 2021. And if you have music enthusiast friends, let them know about the podcast. We'd love to expand the Sound Encounters family as we can have more discussions on music, on genres, and on your favorite artists and bands. Follow the Sound Encounters Twitter and Instagram at Sound Encounters. Leave a review on Apple Podcasts, and it could be featured on the next episode of Sound Encounters. Do you have a question or suggestion for me? Then visit the Twitter or Anchor page and submit your question. That too could be featured on the next episode of Sound Encounters. Thank you to Soundstripe for their wonderful selection of music, which I use today. And thank you for tuning in and listening and supporting my little show here. I'm Caesar. This has been Sound Encounters, and I'll see you next week.